We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7, verse 12 this morning as we continue in our series, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which we've entitled The Upside Down Life. We've got a one-verse passage today. Doesn't necessarily promise the sermon is that much shorter, but we'll only be looking at one verse. This statement that we're going to be reading this morning is recognized as the standard for righteous living throughout the centuries of the church. As a matter of fact, throughout the centuries of the church, since Jesus said this statement, it has been identified as one of the most complete summaries of what is called the natural law that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 2 that is written on the hearts of people, uh, Christians, non-Christians, other religions. Basically, this statement is reiterated uh, in many different religions in one form or another. It is also a statement which I think most of us, when we hear it, just say, well, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. That, 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 that fits. The statement is this, which we call the golden rule in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray together, and then we're going to dive into this together. Lord, again, we thank you for truth. We thank you for the practicality of your word. And God, this passage is so practical for us. I pray you teach us. I pray that um, as we sort of wrestle with what it's saying, what it's not saying, what it means, how it's lived out, that, Lord, you would speak into our lives today, your truth, in Jesus' name, amen. This passage, this verse, of course, uh, King James is do unto others, you would have them do unto you, um, is the golden rule. And it is perceived as the gold standard of Christian conduct, actually human conduct, right? It's interesting that the title, gold um, golden rule, while we would look at it meaning the gold standard, and it certainly does mean that, it also has a more unique historic context. Actually, there is a, a emperor of Rome, Emperor Severus Alexander, writing in the mid-200s, 222 to 235, actually that's when he was emperor, this slide shows him, the ones to the left are the, the sculptors, that's all they had. Today is the, the contemporary um, photo rendering. If, uh, if he looks like his descendant is Ben Simmons, I have to say to you, I feel the same way. Um, you can tell me later if you think this looks like Ben Simmons. Uh, I, to, to my knowledge, I don't know if there's any actual relation. But... Emperor Severus Alexander embraced this motto for his reign. He put it in public buildings, and most uniquely, in his palace in the main, main throne room, he put this slogan, this verse, this as his motto, and he inscribed it on the wall in gold. And many believe this is actually where the statement, the golden rule, came from. Ben Simmons, great, no, Antonio Severus, Severus Alexander uh, put it there. 
But throughout time, since Jesus spoke these words, and even predating Jesus to some degree, this statement has stood as an effective perspective of how we are to behave in true human experience, which of course is what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to, to live and not give us a contrary um, human experience. He actually came to enable us to live human experience as it was designed to be lived. He gives a supernatural power to live the true natural human life. We're going to look at two things this morning. I'm going to focus on two issues from this verse, why we should live according to the golden rule and what living according to the golden rule looks like. Why we should live according to the golden rule, there are two reasons. Because first of all, of what God is to us. You'll notice the beginning of verse 12 starts with the word, so, or on the basis of. And he's looking back to the verses that we studied last week in verses 7 through 11. And I want to just read those to you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? So, on the basis of that, Jesus is challenging us in verses 7 through 11 to come to the Father. And he says, you have a good Father, a Father that is utterly for you. And he encourages you to come to him continually. Let him meet your needs. Let him uh, be the one that you cast your cares on rather than carrying them. In Peter's uh, words of 1 Peter 5, cry out to God for help. And he emphasizes how good the Father is. He says he wants to take care of you. He wants to sustain you. He wants to open doors. He wants to show you his will. In chapter 6, he's talked about this father and he says, you don't need to be anxious. You don't need to be driven by fears. You can live peacefully as you seek him and do life with him as your center. There can be an inner quietness, not an agitation, not a negativity, not an anger because of your father. And he says, so on the basis of this reality that you can live this way, this is how you pass on this goodness to others. But the foundational reality to this verse is the so. And we just got to gra grapple with this for a minute because he's not saying just go out there and, and, and treat other people how you want to be treated. He says, no, no, no. I'm talking to a specific uh, demographic in culture. And that demographic is those that are living in continual relationship with this good Father. Without it, we cannot pull off the principle of Matthew 7, 12. A few years ago, I was reading an article um, in the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer back when I was still reading newspapers. And sorry if you're a newspaper person, I, I always try not to do those kind of things. It, it, but in the Philadelphia Inquirer, I was reading this editorial, and it was written by a, a younger uh, editorialist, and she was telling of her own story. She had just returned from a month-long vacation, and she, in her own words, said, I had to get away. 
I just had to get away. She went to a, 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 a beach. She actually went to an island, spent a month there. And she said, I was becoming a frazzled, edgy, agitated, and angry person. And so she went away and she just spent the time, the only conversations she really had were with friends, quiet, enjoyable. She had lighthearted fun that she did, but a lot of times she just chilled and relaxed and, and, and sort of uh, settled and tried to get quiet and came back and she describes in the article her experience. She was telling of arriving back Early in the weekends, Monday morning, she got up a little bit edgy as she was doing the commute to downtown Philly to her office. And she told the story of how as she got in the car, a little bit nervous, but, but hopeful, and she started down the highway, the Schuylkill, and somebody cut her off. And it just agitated her. And she found herself getting stirred up. She said she went another couple of miles and all of a sudden there was, she wasn't going fast enough or something and, and somebody came by and was honking her horn. Somebody else shared a finger with her and all this is going on. And she is just, she says, I could just feel myself losing control. And finally she's trying to settle, trying. And finally she just pulls off the road Uh, onto the shoulder, stops, turns off the engine, and breaks down in tears. Just overwhelmed with her own helplessness to control her own agitation, anger, and frustration. What Jesus is reminding us here is we're utterly incapable on our own to really live quiet lives. And quiet lives peaceful lives, inner turmoil in life is what is required for what he's going to talk about in living out the golden rule. I mean, your stored up beach reserves just are going to get depleted real quick. There is the need of continual quietness in the presence of God. Pastor Ben talked about this last week as he preached on Matthew chapter 7. He used the example of George Mueller, a guy that was responsible for 10,000 orphans in Bristol, England, and never put out public requests for money, had no government aid, lived by faith. Just an amazing story. I mean, imagine what it would be like in humanness. Every, every week, you're wondering, where's the money going to come from? How are we going to provide for this? I mean, the sense of agitation. I mean, why wasn't the guy continually uh, controlled by anger and frustration and anxiety? Well, as Ben pointed out, the, every morning, George Mueller, it's called George Mueller's spiritual secret. And he says, this is my secret. Every morning, I spend time reading the Scripture And then I go out into the field around Bristol and I talk to God about those very things that he shared with me and have conversation with him. And he said, and I stay out there until, and this is his famous quote, until my soul is happy in Jesus, until I'm settled. But Jesus is saying, we're going to need to continually draw upon that resource. This passage, Matthew 7 through 12, the golden rule does not work with our default mode of leaning into what's called our flesh or our, our, our sinful orientation. It only comes in the power of God in our lives. So, but he's saying, 
You can live this way. You can do this. This is the first reason he says, I want you to do the golden rule. Because you can continually be drinking at the well of your father's presence. On the basis of that, you can live the golden rule. The second thing he says is, we're to live the golden rule because of what God's law is all about. He says, for this is the law and the prophets. There are two ways of teaching the, the law of God, the principles of God, the commandments of God. One is to give a million applications of them. This is what the Mishnah and, and the, a lot of the Talmud is, the Jewish, you know, all these traditions that came back. And there's value in that. They, they went way too far. They, they, they idolized it. But the idea is to give lots of, of, of pictures, case studies, if you will. The other way is to just give a summary mission statement. This is what it's about. This is what it means on the horizontal level to live loving your neighbor as yourself and all the commandments that talk about that. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. He says this fulfills the law and the prophets. The law is the first five books of the Old Testament. The prophets are all the rest of the teaching material in the Old Testament, which explains both God and how people are to do life under God. It's interesting that this, Jesus is not the first person to ever make this statement. In the first century BC, there was a Jewish leader who was the head of the Sanhedrin, um, which the Sanhedrin was the, meant 70. It was the 70 rulers of Israel. Uh, a very famous rabbi, his name was Hillel. And he actually lived for over 100 years. He died in, in 10 AD. And Hillel actually made, told in his teaching ministry this, this story that actually was a true a thing that actually happened. And here's what happened. This guy came to him. The pagan came to, to Hillel and says, make me a proselyte on the condition that you teach me the whole Torah while I stand on one foot. In other words, give me a summary of what it is. And Hillel said this, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That's the whole Torah. While the rest is commentary, they're on. Go and learn it. Saying golden rule, don't do to other people what you don't want them to do to you. He says, this is a summary. Jesus is picking up on that statement. He changes it a little bit, which we'll look at later. But basically... He is acknowledging this is the summary of God's law for us on the horizontal level. Treat other people in the way you would want them to treat you. Later teachers will follow Jesus in this perception of God's law. There's a thing called the Didache or Didache. It was written in the late first century. It's, it, it's, the Didache actually means teaching. And the whole title of it is the teaching of the 12 apostles. They said, first, love the, love the God who made you, and second, your neighbor as yourself, and whatever you do not want to happen to you, do not do to another. This golden rule has continually been reaffirmed as the foundation of God's whole calling upon our lives in relation to, to other people. So why are we to live according to the golden rule? Well, first, because we can by God's presence in our lives and our dependence on Him, we can live this out. Secondly, because it is the mission statement of the whole Jesus life in us towards others. Okay, now we want to put some shoes to all us. What does 
living according to the golden rule look like? And I'd like to share five principles. You only have four slots, and so if you're taking notes, you're going to get a free one. All right. And this is really the mindset of Jesus toward others, right? That's what this is talking about. Treat others in the way you would want them to treat you. Whatever you wish others would do to you, do to them. So what does it look like? Well, here are some some principles. Number one, you invest yourself in what is helpful to others, not just restrain yourself from what is hurtful. If you'll notice the statement by Hillel, he said it, this way. He, he said it negatively. He said to not do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Well, that's part of it. If you don't enjoy being robbed, don't rob others. If you don't like being cursed, don't curse others. If you don't enjoy being hated, don't hate others. But Jesus goes beyond the statement, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. He says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, also do to them. He says, this is active. This is not permission to draw into a world where my whole goal is to not offend anyone, but I accomplish no positive good for anybody else, that I just retreat and cloister away and and keep my distance. He's saying, no, it's it's active. It's, it's, It's intentional. What would you like done to you? Well, do it to others. How would you like to be treated by people? Well, treat others that way. The second thing, and this is the longest one, you base it on what all humans wish for, not your personal preferences or perceptions. I want to play this out. Again, here's what he says. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. It's not based on your personal preferences. He's not talking about your love language, okay? Like the woman says, my love language is acts of service, that I love when people uh, do things to help me and look out for me, and, and so I love my husband that way, you know, that's how I'd want him to do to me, so I do to him, and so I clean his car, and so I keep his car neat, and so I, I keep the bedroom nice, and so I, I do other things around, I even put his tools away and, and clean up his workshop, which some of us would say, Thanks, but no thanks. But, but, but she said, I do this, but he doesn't seem to, you know, it doesn't seem to, to have any effect. Well, maybe his love language is, babe, I just want to listen. Have you listened to me? I just want to tell you about my day. I want, I, want, I want time together. I wish you'd stop working with the, you know, the cleaning and, and, and we can be together. And so it isn't our love language, right? It isn't, it isn't the guy that says, oh, my sister's in the hospital and she gets out tomorrow. I remember when I was in the hospital. And uh, man, the first day I got home, all my buddies came over and we watched the ball game together. It was so great. So tomorrow, my sister gets out of the hospital. I've lined up meals for her every day. People are coming in. I've got people coming in that are going to clean for her. I've got people coming in that are just going to touch base and see how she's doing. Now, here's the deal with his sister. His sister is the kind of person that takes on everybody's pain, that immediately senses where everybody is and is a listener and and takes responsibility for other people. And the thought of people bringing meals in every meal, the thought of people in her house cleaning makes her say, I will probably stay in my bedroom 24-7 until his string runs out. Maybe she'll be under the bed 
That's not what it's saying. It's not saying my personal wiring, how I want to be looked after, is how I'll look after. That's not what he's saying. All right, second thing uh, it's not talking about. It is not based... Sorry. It's not based on our personal perceptions of others. There's a person at work that holds a completely different vision of what our nation needs than you do. Or there's a person who has chosen a completely different lifestyle than you value. And when you think about this person and you think about the golden rule, you can go like this. Ah, that woman. Yeah, I'm trying to live out the golden rule with her. So I'm thinking, what do I want her to do towards me? Therefore, I will do that to her. What do I want from that woman? Nothing! I want her not to talk to me. I want her not to to come my way. I don't want to see her. What do I want from her? Space, distance. So that's what I'm giving her. Now, quite honestly, if that's your attitude, that might be the best thing you can do. But I think we all sense somehow that doesn't seem to be what Jesus is saying here exactly, but I'm not sure why. What's wrong? I mean, what is he saying when he says, whatever you wish others would do for you, do for them? If it's not love language, if it's not, I can't stand that person, and the best thing that that she could do for me, stay out of my life, so the kindest thing I can do for her is stay out of her life, what is it? Well, that's what I want to talk with you for the next couple of minutes. The command is based on love for others, what is best for others. It is loving other people in the way we would all want to be loved. So how do all of us want to be loved? 1 Corinthians 13 tells us a few things. Here are some of the characteristics. It says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not dishonor others. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. If you look at those and spend some time with those verses, you will find that there are four specific things that Paul is saying are what love looks like towards others. If you want to seek the best of others, which is really what you want to get from others towards you, you want to be loved, there are four particular things that we give to each other. I'd like to highlight them for you quickly and just say a little bit about them. I'll tell you the four at the beginning. Tolerance, kindness, respect, and trust. He says, first of all, what all of us want is tolerance from other people. He says this, love is patient. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs there in 1 Corinthians 13. Of course I screw up. Of course I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. Nobody is. You overlook your foibles, mess-ups, screw-ups. And you want others to do that. You know, not to completely cut you slack if you've done something terrible, but, but overall, you, you, 
You long for some toleration that people, my wife, my husband, my parents, my kids, that, that they'll be tolerant. We all want that, right? We all want some forbearance. We give it to ourselves. And one of the ways that we give to others what we all want is toleration. And Paul says three times, three different ways. He says, you're patient with each other. Love is not easily angered. Love doesn't keep record of wrongs. Tolerance is part of the golden rule. Secondly, there's kindness. Love is, in 1 Corinthians 13, kind. There's nobody that wants to be around a boss that's harsh, that's overly demanding, at times feels cruel. No matter what your wiring is or personality is, you want to be in an environment where, where the individual that is responsible for you and over you, even if they're a tough disciplinarian and everything, there's kindness. There, there's compassion. We all long for that. We all long for some level of kindness to be coming our way. And Paul is saying, you want to be tolerated. You want to be treated kindly. Say, excuse me. Jesus is saying those are how we live under the golden rule. Third, living the golden rule is showing respect. You'll notice in 1 Corinthians 13, it says love does not dishonor others. I want to be treated with honor and respect. I want to be paid what I'm worth. I want a little appreciation. I, I want encouragement, not criticism all the time. I want my opinion to matter, my voice to be heard. My oldest daughter, oldest child, Laura, is, is out in Michigan. Her husband's a pilot for United and been off work with all this stuff. And, and she, got a, she got a job um, with um, the Postal Service. And she's a carrier doing, doing this, this job. And she's, she's not permanent yet. Well, she's permanent, but she's not yet got a route. So she's basically doing all these rural routes. And her job is to basically fill in every day whoever isn't going to be there. So it's a lot of training and it's a lot of... And she told me the story of her first training day. She went in, and, and Laura's pretty capable, pretty quick study, but... but it's a lot to learn, and, and so they're in this, this postal truck. There's no air conditioning. It's burning hot. It was summer, and she, she, the, the guy's letting her drive, and he's on his phone, the trainer, and as she goes out, she's messing up, making mistakes, and the guy is making fun of her and texting his wife, showing pictures of Laura messing up and, and mistakes she's making. Laura said she barely made it through the day. She's now done real well with it. But she says to this day, and she said, actually, he has the easiest route of any of the routes. And it's one of the shortest ones. But she says to this day, when he's not there and I have to do his route, she says, I actually break out and I'm nervous and I always mess something up. What happened? She, she felt demeaned, disrespected. We all need respect. We all need appreciation and encouragement. And Paul's saying, part of the golden rule is that I respect. 
others. I honor them. The fourth thing is trust. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes. It gives people the benefit of the doubt and not assume I know the whole story. We always highlight our own motives, right? I mean, if, if we've messed up, first thing that goes through our mind when we've messed up, but we know, oh, I was trying to do the right thing, I, was try- I just screwed, we immediately think my motives were right. We don't typically do that as a first response when somebody else has screwed up. We don't often go. Trusting is assuming I don't have the whole story and my initial reaction is I am going to try to look for the best in others just like I tend to look for the best in myself. I received a a very meaningful letter for me from somebody from our church Uh, after I preached a couple of weeks ago on on judging in John chapter 7. And the individual was telling um, a story from her own career. And with her permission, without names and everything, um, I I wanted to share what she wrote because it was an illustration that I think is so applicable to this idea of we're looking for the best. We're looking to trust others and not immediately thinking we have the whole story. After your sermon, I thought about an incident that occurred several years ago. It was an especially busy day in the emergency department with multiple strokes and heart attacks and very ill people coming through our doors. Very sick people were in the waiting room and desperately needed to be seen. People were receiving blood transfusions in the hallway. We had run out of heart monitors. There were multiple ambulance crews at our back door, and we had started sitting the sick in chairs. I heard one of my colleagues complaining about the 10th floor, and that one of the nurses up there had an empty room, but was refusing to take the report, which was so a patient could leave us and free up one of our beds from one of our nurses because she needed 10 minutes. 10 minutes! I'd like to have 10 minutes, one nurse yelled. This wasn't my patient, or I might have been the one sharing her opinion. Moving forward to the next day, I was in a meeting with the chief nursing officer, and she shared her concern for the nurses on the 10th floor. She was concerned because all of their patients were isolation patients, and they were asked to take more patients than normal, and several nurses had turned in their resignations. Isolation requires the nurse to gown up with a plastic gown, use gloves, mask, head covering, and sometimes shoe coverings before going into a patient's room. Then it all has to come off. You scrub your hands and start all over before going into another patient's room. You hope no one needs anything while you're in a patient's room because they are going to be very angry that it's taking you so long to get to them. After 12 plus hours of this, you are hot, sweaty, you stink, you're exhausted, and probably half of your patients are going to write negative comments on their surveys, and they will be sure to use your name. I have only ever had one or two patients in isolation at a time, and it's quite awful. I am forever grateful that I heard our CNO share her concern. I share all the details because like the Jews and Gentiles of Romans 14, that was in the sermon, Both sides had reasons to feel the way they did, and neither side knew or cared to understand the plight of the other. It's destructive and without hope. I'm in a place where I needed to remember this. Thank you.
We are all in places that remind us that we need to remember the golden rule, do to others what we would wish others would do for us. And that means extending tolerance, respect, kindness, trust. The third principle is you grow in your capacity to live live it because of God's appointed life experiences. Just a couple of things here. Just thinking of how this works out. It it works out that we are better able to understand the life experiences of others. For instance, I love it when we have pastors, former pastors, especially preaching pastors, and we've got some that are a part of our church family because they know what it's like and they're the ones that will be out there nodding when you're speaking and you're really not making a lot of sense but they're just encouraging you they laugh at the joke that nobody else gets or wishes they didn't get they they encourage why they know what it's like. They get it. Leaders that, that have all the, that have, that people that have never been in a leadership position and, and now they're responsible for something in and, and, and your office and all of a sudden they know what it's like and realize you got people from both sides that don't get it and, and, and you've never been in that place before. You've never been in charge of the group. You begin to understand we have a capacity to live out the golden rule better as we understand and grow in our own things. Wow, I, I, ah, man, I'd love to have people respond to me in this way as the leader of our group. Well, the people that will best be able to do that are going to be people that have experienced it. A fourth principle is you need to apply this principle in all areas of your life. This principle of the golden rule is not just for the brother or sister that you go to church with. It's for your work team. It's for your family. It's for your extended family. It's for your spouse's extended family. It's for the neighbors that are tough. It is processing kindness, tolerance, respect, trust that my my default position is I want to go to those things because those are the things I want people to give me. Those are the things that I long for and in my life. We have a, we have a form that we put together years ago. It's called serving as a team together. It's just these are all biblical passages and these are principles We use this and review this often as a pastoral team, as as a church staff. Um, Many of our our leadership groups go through this. We, We actually encourage every leadership group to go through it. Basically, it's commitments I agree to in serving together. What it's basically talking about is what would all of us want to have? What are we committing to each other? Because this is what we would want too. I'm just going to share real quickly these kind of things. Um, encourage. I'll seek to be an encourager of my teammates, realizing that encouragement is one of the primary reasons for being on a team. Speaking for others. I will not speak for someone else on the team without their permission. Handling criticism of teammates. If someone comes to me with a concern about another team member, 
either what they did or did not do or personal issues, I will encourage that person to go to the team member personally rather than try to resolve their concerns myself. Supporting each other, I'll support and build up other team members in my contacts with other people. Extinguish, not inflame. When someone comes with a concern about the overall ministry, I'll listen sincerely, but will be careful not to inflame a spirit of criticalness, but rather to emphasize the, the positives. We talk about having a bucket of water, not a bucket of gasoline. Um, in-person truth-telling, I'll try to share things in persons that may feel negative rather than through a letter or an email. Make things right. If I have reacted in a way that is hurtful to a team member, I will seek to make it right by asking for you. These are just things all of us would want, right? They're just saying, we're going to try to follow the golden rule, which is we believe these things honor each other. These things show kindness to each other. These things show trust for each other. And so these are practical things that we're trying to live out. We want to be doing that in all aspects of our life. And the last thing in here I'm going to wrap up. You will need your heavenly father to live this out. That's the so. There is no verse 12 without the earlier verses reminding us that the resource for living this principle, we are too self-absorbed. We are too much about how this circumstance affects me apart from the freeing power of the Spirit of God to be freed from our own self-absorption and self-centered orientation to be looking at others. This is why the vertical is essential for the horizontal. That everything we're talking about this morning, and, and you may be here, and, and this may be your first time in our church or any church, it may be, uh, or maybe a return, but, but, but for you, you know, the Christian faith thing is, is something you're sort of wondering about. Oh, I want to be completely candid with you and say, even though you're probably very familiar with the golden rule, this golden rule is designed and dependent on God himself working his life through people. We don't have this. We don't have the capacity to live selflessly except but the incredible thing is there is a father who loves us, who is for us, who is making himself available to us. He sent his own son that you could enter into a relationship with him that we can live differently because he has come to make that difference in our lives. It's what salvation is about. It's what being born again is about. It's the new life that is offered to us. And Jesus says, this is true human experience. Looking out for what you would want and doing that towards others. But the power for that, the fuel that drives the engine of that in our lives is God himself and a personal relationship with him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for just reminders from your word. There is a life that is not one where we are controlled by anger or factiousness or me first or getting mine. But it's a life that because of sin is not natural to us. We need supernatural aid. But Lord, 
enable us, prompt us with the potential and the essentialness of drawing near to you that you might live that life in us and through us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now go in peace to love and serve and enjoy the Lord.